This is SMQB's episode 15, jam-packed, lots to talk about, NFL draft coverage. Uh, then we are going to introduce the first two seeds in each region of the SMQB's greatest games, or is it greatest moments, or is it plays? Who knows? You'll have to listen to find out. Punchable face of the week, get a recap on last week's punchable face, and just have a good time. See ya. From the people climb up on the booth, hanging from the people on the people, my head's the roof, dancing on the ceiling, on the people, I got people on the dancing on the people, I got people. FMQB's episode 15. It is draft week, and there is an open quarterback competition in Philadelphia. Exactly what all the Eagles fans wanted to hear going into this week. Oh, the saga continues. House, you got to feel good about your team going into the draft, right? I'm with you if you want to rip on Howie Roseman. You'll hear a lot about that today. Hey, well, that should be fun. Joe Flacco has a lot of game left, baby. Oh, my God, stop it. Yeah, the only way Joe Flacco has a lot of game left is if the NFL plays three quarters like Major League Baseball is played in doubleheaders and cut <laughs> yeah. down to seven. I'm sure you can throw a no-hitter through three quarters. Yeah, exactly. How's everybody? All right, all right, all right. Well. Big, big, big week. Big week. Big week. Draft time. Yeah, well, so we have a pretty aggressive agenda to get through. Um, and let's just jump into it. Let's talk a little draft. I mean... Look, there's a, you know, there's a gazillion podcasts out there right now that are ranking players and telling you who to suspect is going to get picked when and where and all that kind of stuff. Yawn. That is kind of uh, tired. So we're going to look at this a little differently. And, you know, Milk, you're the, the Super Bowl champion, the defending champ. Give us a little lowdown. What, what do you, you know, if you're building your team, what are you doing? How do you approach the NFL draft? I mean, it seems like it's almost 50-50 on if these players pan out. So how do you approach it? Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to say that this is my one of my first experiences drafting last. We're usually in the first 15 minutes of the draft because we're picking top five. So I don't really know what to do on draft night. It's going to be kind of a little, little boring, boring night for me. Got to wait all the way till 31. That's a good problem to have. Milk, Milk, I'm hearing that you guys might draft uh, Trask, who can sit behind Brady for a couple of years and learn some footwork. Hey, no complaints here at all. I'd love to bring on Kyle Trask all day long. Uh, but look, I'm here's the here's the way I look at the draft. If other than a quarterback, that's the obvious, right? If you need a quarterback, you have to take a quarterback. But I am a best man available kind of guy. I don't care who if the if the these guys go by what the well, saying we, or what the you know whatever the spreadsheet says who to take if take the best guy available but if he's an offensive lineman defensive lineman wide receiver whoever it is that's that's how you build a team in my opinion unless you need a quarterback so that I mean that's that's the strategy I would take going into you know, any sort of, any sort of draft. Pope, you have, Pope, you have, you have um, probably the most accomplished general manager in, in the league at this point, right? No, this guy oh, right no, here. no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have a great owner. Did you ask me about my GM? Yes. 
so we've had some. Man, aren't issues. they the same pe- person? Yes, they are. We've had some issues <laughs> with the football uh, selection process the last twenty five years. Um, the last twenty five years since uh, since uh, Jerry took over from Jimmy. Um, look, if I'm a but if if I'm a GM going into the draft. I, I'm not necessarily a best player available guy because that's what the Cowboys have been doing pretty consistently for the last 10 to 15 years. And we've gotten some good players, obviously, but uh, because of that strategy, they've been blind to some good picks uh, that they've passed on uh, that could have really helped them, you know, have a more complete team. Um, The Cowboys obviously are an offensive minded draft uh, first uh, type of operation. And, you know, Jerry likes to put points on the board. He likes to put fans in the seats. He does well, uh, obviously making a lot of money with the big offensive production uh, that we're able to show. But defense has been sadly lacking. So from from a GM standpoint, I thought Jimmy back in the day when he traded down, that's where we got some really quality picks during that first, you know, three or four years that Jimmy was here. Uh, and I would like to see the Cowboys do more of that. Uh, now, that that being said, I'm, I'm not, and we'll talk about it in a minute, I'm not recommending they do that on this draft because there are certain players available that, that they need. But if I'm a GM, I look to trade down. I look to get as many picks as possible and try to complement my roster offense defense. Well, Pope and Milk, let me, let me ask you guys a question because you have the opposite answer here kind of. So you guys are now the GM of the Cincinnati Bengals. You've got Joe Burrow as your quarterback. He looks like, notwithstanding the injury, he could be a franchise quarterback. All right? And I think if you were to rank the best available player, Jamar Chase is an elite, elite wide receiver. But you also have a quarterback that just tore his ACL, and you've got this pretty darn good left tackle, Peeney Sewell, who's going to be available. So milk, do you say take Jamar chase and Pope? Do you say take Sewell? I mean, I'm curious milk with your GM strategy. If you're the Bengals, who do you take there? Well, look, first of all, he's come, he basically almost had his leg amputated last year. So I guess in that situation, you may have to go offensive line. Okay. But I mean, Give the guy some weapons. I mean, who who are his wide receivers now? Didn't that isn't what's his name's gone right? The um, Tyler Higgins. number one. He's got Tyler Higgins. and Tyler Boyd. But this yeah. is the thing. This is what GMs do. They get thirsty and they're like, "Well, I know that my motto is best player available." I, I think where GMs screw up the most is where they just don't stay with what they're mantra is for their team if it's best player available best player available and if you had on that board ranked jamar chase then you take him. if you think that over time jamar chase can be better then you maybe you pick up a an offensive tackle through free agency or whatever else but that's 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 too simple though because you know best player available could be a wide receiver every year and you know look at look at what milk's team did last year they they drafted tristan Wirfs and they drafted winfield and those guys started 16 games as rookies, and they were great. Yeah. They filled two needs de- that they desperately needed to fill with really good players, and they were lucky. They were they 
they picked well, the la- the last of the really good offensive linemen, and that guy turned out to be the best of them. The, the other thing about this, too, is, you know, the salary cap makes everything so complicated in the NFL, right? Because you're going to have players that if you do a good job drafting and bringing guys in, you're going to have players who almost um, automatically will not be back with your team at a certain point in time. So I think if you're you're a successful GM, and certainly we haven't had one of those in Washington in a while, but <laughs> but you you've got to look at the whole picture, right? You have to see what is the puzzle that my team is, and when do I start losing players? I mean, you may have the two best corners in the NFL, and both of them are going to come off, you know, are going to be going and looking for huge salaries within consecutive years. So at that point, you have to start planning, okay, I get to get a corner in this draft, right? You could have um, the best tackles in football, but if one of them is going to be looking for, you know, a, a 80 million guaranteed salary in a year, that's, you got to look at the rest of that. So, you know, best available can be a really good strategy. I like that in certain circumstances, but the guys who really know their teams and are planning, you know, this is what I think. New England, certainly Seattle to some degree. These these teams, Mike have, Holmgren, yep. yeah, these teams do this well because they just sort of reload and pop in a player when necessary, but they keep that core together. And before you know it, the old core isn't there anymore. There's a new core, but they've just they've done a good job of planning for the future. That's how you build a strong team. Well, House, to answer your question uh, about. The Bengals. I mean, I think that's going to be a pivotal point in the first round. Uh, you know, uh, Burrow wants Jamar Chase a, a lot because they hooked up uh, for a national championship and they are very comfortable uh, with each other, kind of like Tua and Devontae Smith. Uh, but, you know, Burrow may actually, for survival, prefer to have his blind side protected. So that it's it's a tough call, but I, I think that there are elite wide receivers available. Uh, whether they can pick them up in free agency, you know, maybe later on in the draft, I, I would. If you have a potentially generational tackle, I would take the tackle and protect your franchise quarterback. That's what so, I would Pope, do. Pope, yeah, that's a good I, question, I, though. That's a good point. I think. Do you talk to your quarterback who's been, you know, played what eleven games in the NFL? Do you talk to him and and say, who do you want, and how much stock do you put in? Hundred percent, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, he's part of the he's part of the decision making process. I mean, you you got him, uh, you know, at number one, and so absolutely, he's part of of the mix. But I wouldn't make him the final decision maker. I would just use no. his input. No. Although I'm pretty sure, pretty sure Tom Brady drafted. I'm getting agitated. Uh oh. Because getting agitated. I'm getting agitated. No, you, uh, you guys are creating a monster. You, what are you going to let the, the the quarterback and the fans tell you who to pick? It's it's got to be way more. I mean, the GM gets paid a lot of money to be way more nuanced than to say or oh, not taking the best person available or. You know, I'm going to listen to the quarterback or this or that. You're going to have that the whole Deshaun Watson mess on your head. Just to be clear, you're agitated with milk and Pope, and yes, you like yes, Mace, like yes, Bison. Yes, okay, I, yeah, I like, I like, 
for example, here, just here, just hear me. You out. realize example, we don't. Let's talk about the Giants. For we don't have a GM, so you don't let's get paid talk, anything. Let, let's let's stop interrupting the rooster and talk about the Giants for a minute. Cock-a-doodle-doo. <laughs> <laughs> The, the Giants need an offensive lineman. They need an edge rusher. They need a wide receiver. Um, you know, they're just, there's no Trey Young or whatever his name is for the Washington football team behind you there. Trey Young Chase. plays basketball for the Hawks. Chase so you're going to be, an, you're going to be, there's, in no, there's no Chase Young <laughs> available this year. So I'm not looking for an edge rusher in the first round, even though we really need one. There's, there's only one sure bet tackle and the and the Bengals are taking him so that leaves us with the best available wide receiver not the vet you know and that's just what's going to happen it has to happen um there you know some teams just never get this look at John Elway the guy was one of the greatest quarterbacks ever he's been one of the worst executives in the history of football and and if the Broncos don't get this right and and figure it out they're going to be mediocre for another 10 years. Here are their starting quarterbacks since Peyton retired in 2016. Trevor Simeon, Drew Locke, Case Keenum, Joe Flacco, the one and only, Paxton Lynch, Paxton Lynch, Brock Osweiler, Brandon Allen, and Brett Rippian. That Rippin. That's that's an order of starts. What about Tebow? That's an order of starts. Tebow was before Peyton Manning. He was before Peyton, yeah. So by the by the way, it's not consensus that there's only one standout offensive tackle. Some people uh, rate Slater. Sean Slater even or above Sewell. Well, could be, but I'm not taking him above um, Waddle or Smith at wide receiver under Why? any circumstances because Wh- those Why? guys are just they, they, those guys are just superior talents. Smith's size doesn't bother you? And Danny Danny Dimes needs somebody else to pick him up. He's He was a bad pick. I don't like that pick. I never did. Um, but for him to be successful, he needs great talent around him. So who knows about Saquon, if he's ever going to be Saquon again, and the wide receivers right now, um, are, are either have a history of being injured like the, like, uh, the guy we got from Detroit or are mediocre. So we need a, we need a flyer on the outside and Waddle or Smith would, would solve that problem. But if the Broncos don't trade up and get one of the top five quarterbacks, it's just a, you know it's just another failed year for for Elway in my opinion. And the, but you and, know what they don't well, need to trade sorry. up. You know, again, yeah, bef- if, bef- go ahead, Milk. No, I was just gonna say again, if you need a quarterback, you got to go get a quarterback. That's like the one position. Right. But how many times do we see these teams? They pick someone because that's what the spreadsheet tells them to do. Well, we should get an offensive lineman because that's what we need. And they pass over. All of it, you know, it's three years later, that pick is a bust. And then, you know, you see that, see it all the time. Let's go back to that draft and look who they passed over and they passed over X, Y, Z. And it's all these awesome players. Like, I feel like that's going to happen this year with Pitts. Pitts yep. is going to get passed over because he's not going to fit the, he doesn't fit what the team needs. They're going to drop to, he's going to drop to 10 or 11 or whatever, oh, yeah. unless maybe Atlanta. Atlanta 19. Eleven, eleven would be nice. Let's hope he's going at four four. to the Falcons. I I agree with. Let's hope to God he doesn't go to Atlanta. I agree with Milk. I I don't. I actually don't think he should go at four because it is a quarterback league, and you can make a pick and you have five years for it to work, and then cut and run if it doesn't. But but if the Atlanta Falcons think um, 
that uh, Matt Ryan has good years left in him that are going to get them to the Super Bowl. They're crazy. They're absolutely crazy. He got him to the Super Bowl once, and that was the last time he's ever going to do that. And this is the last time they're going to be as high as four in a long, long time. Yeah, so it- trade down, trade down with um, Denver or 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 the Dolphins, and take Fields or take Trey Lance, and let the do- let the Dolphins take uh, uh, Kyle Pitts. That's no, what they gotta do. no, no, no. Hold on a second. Atlanta wow. should not do that. They Hold have on to a do second. It. They're crazy if they don't. They'll Fields be, is oh, such a question mark in my mind. Is are you saying that uh, Atlanta's um, answer to how shitty they were last year is to have a really good tight end. I'm saying, I don't think so. This is my point is that if you want to, if Atlanta needs, yes, quarterback or their defense sucks by the way. So, but yeah, if they're, if they trade out of that spot, they're going to trade out, get all these draft picks, whatever, but then they're going to pass over Pitts. He's going to go to someone else. Pitts is going to go on to 17 pro bowls and barring injury, and they're going to regret it the rest of their, you know, lives, the GM's life. And it's like, just take him, take him because he's going to be unbelievable. Like just Ru- get him Ru- on your team. You can he, worry about the not rest just later. tight end. He's a great tight end. He's not just a tight end. A great wide receiver. A great tight end is the answer to a really good team. But he's going to be like terrible team. You are comparing. He's great not tight end. Wrong. It doesn't do he's, damn thing. Brewster, he's not a tight yeah, I'm getting, end. I, I'm getting agitated. I'm getting agitated. Oh boy. Here we go. First of all, first of all, this is a keepers league. It's not a one year team. You, I kind of agree with Bison here. Like. You got to look at a lot of things here. Number one, he's not a tight end. Number two, you don't just get to jump up and dra- jump up and make trades and just get your quarterback. You know, I want to talk about something that Pope raised earlier because I really agree with him here on this whole notion of draft capital. Jimmy Johnson, I hate to give him credit for it, he came up with this whole point system of draft capital when you come into based on the number of picks you have and where. You are picking in the draft. You get draft capital. That's been updated recently. The Broncos draft capital sucks. The Jags are number one, of course, because they have the they have not only are they number one pick, but they have 10 picks overall. So the, the, the Jags this year have very high draft capital. The Eagles have 11 picks and are drafting relatively high. They have their number eight in draft capital. But but the Broncos are way down there. So they're going to mortgage their future for the next two, three years so they can go up and get Justin Fields when oh, a quarterback boy. when a quarterback from Ohio State has never worked out in Agreed. the NFL and that includes Indeed. Arch Schleister. I mean, come yeah. on. What you you before you trade up, you've got to have the capital to do it. How about if they stay where they are and take Davis Mills from Stanford? Okay. Interesting. Not on the draft board. <laughs> then that's that's your next Brock Osweiler. <laughs> no, it's yeah. Not. No, it's not. This coach said he was the closest thing to Andrew Luck that he's ever seen. But you're just, you're talking, just about, you're talking about play. you're talking about the Falcons taking. I'm talking, I'm talking about no. I'm talking about the Broncos. Actually, oh, the Broncos. I, actually, the Falcons. You know, what you, I think you misstated what I was saying. They're not going to trade up to get their quarterback. They need to trade down, and they're no, going to trade the Broncos and trade down to a team that doesn't want to take a quarterback. So the you said Falcons, the Broncos have to get in the top five. I said the hat. They have to solve their quarterback problem. Well, no, what he said was the Broncos need to draft a 
to to be positioned for a top five quarterback. Well, there's going to be a top five quarterback Who's available at number nine for sure. But but there's right. also going to be three of the top five quarterbacks taken in this draft will be busts, right? I mean, statistically, statistically. historically yeah. speaking, and I so, like statistics. So that's yeah. one. Fields so that's one. Yeah, Fields is a lot to be a bust, and if and if he's not a bust, I am going to be super pissed off. By the way, thank you, Dwayne Haskins. But putting that aside, I mean that that's another part of the analysis, right? Is you know, do you trade up and give away future picks when you know that the odds of getting a guy who's a Super Bowl winning quarterback in the first five picks? I mean, it's not 50-50. It's probably not even like 35-65. It's almost like a 10% chance, even in even when you get one of the five guys in this draft. Isn't yeah, that just what heard? the isn't that what the Buffalo Bills did? And they got Josh Allen. Um the, the the Cardinals, the Arizona Cardinals did it twice. They they got Josh Rosen and he didn't work out, so they kicked him to the curb. I went out and got Murray because well, you, you got the five-year deal with the with the rookie quarterbacks. But that's a Tim big Couch, cut yeah. Tim Couch, Tim Couch, and Achilles Smith. How'd they work out? It's not so much. So they, can, yeah, but you yeah. couldn't cut and run like that back then. But you can cut and run, but you've lost a first a top five pick. You you just cut and run on a top five pick. I mean, right. the Haskins pick for Washington is a great example. It was a fifteenth pick. And you never get back the 15th pick when the guy just is off your team in two years. That's a big loss. Cowboys yep. are good at that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, Bruce, well, let team, me ask you this. A lot of our teams have been good at that. The team we should be talking about is San Francisco then. They they traded away <laughs> the, the house to get up to number three. <laughs> I'm and they're here. saying they're going to take Mac Jones? Are you fucking kidding me? They're not, taking, they're not taking Mac Jones. They're not. We, they're taking Trey, Trey Lance or Justin Fields. We we definitely need to have a live. You mean Carson Wentz Jr. Sanguinetti household? We we need a live feed on the Sanguinetti household for that pick, please. I really want to see him take Mac Jones. They traded the number twelve spot, the, the uh, third round pick, and two first round picks in the next two years, and they're Ooh. saying they're taking Mac Jones. I, I don't believe it either. You can't trade all that and and then decide I'm going with they're Mac not. Jones. No way. They're not taking, but I, but how sick are you all going to be? How sick is everyone going to be when Bill Belichick takes Mac Jones and turns him into a superstar? Now that I'm scared about. I think, (laughs) I I think the Pats are going to wind up with Trey Lance or Justin Fields and prove everybody wrong. They won't slip that far. They're going to trade up. You think the Pats are going to trade up? Yeah, I think they're going to trade up and some dumbass like Detroit or Denver is going to hand them something great. Rooster, let me ask you this. Interesting. Let me ask you this. What's your take on the combine as an evaluation metric for drafting players? Because we've had combine bus and combine super studs. You're a GM now. How much are you relying on the combine? Um, slightly. Um, but I was listening to uh, one of the analysts today talk about the edge rusher, edge rusher from Penn State killed it at the combine and then they watched his tapes and he didn't have a freaking sack all of last year. So, yeah. you know, it's great that he's fast and, and can jump high, you know, and, and, and swivel his hips quickly and all that BS, but it, you know, football is a game of plays. And if you can't make the plays, the combine doesn't mean much. So 
I think the combine is um, is uh, was really telling for guys like Metcalf on Seattle. I mean, he he opened a lot of people's eyes because he's so big and fast. And if they could work on his hands, then he's going to be a superstar. And it looks like they have. But but for some guys, the combine isn't enough. And and that got Penn State edge rusher rusher is an example. I'll tell you the, the one thing I want to see if I'm a GM. And, and this is going to sound hokey and you all will laugh, but I want to know what the guy's teammates say about him. I really do. I just, I, you know, football mm. is foxhole kind of guy. It really, it is. It's a foxhole mentality and, and it affects the locker room. It affects the huddle. It affects the guy next to you on the line that, you know, that that's, that's probably what I would be most curious in is what sounds like you've been burnt play. before by a player's character. That's now one of the reasons. That's one of the reasons the Seahawks took Russell Wilson is because what the guys said about him. Yeah, I mean, they relied on you know. Th- I think that's a big piece, and the other big piece, a little bit to what Rooster's talking about with you know the Penn State film and stuff. You got to see the competition they play against. I, I mean, it drives me crazy that Howie Roseman will not take an Alabama player. For God's sake, they win a national championship every year, every Jaylen other year. Hurts. A, a, against the SEC, well, he wasn't. Oh, he, he, he wasn't from Alabama up. when they drafted him. Alabama he, chased him out. He had three he, years under Alabama. He, technically, yeah. he was an Oklahoma player when he drafted. I'm just saying, you can't really go wrong. I mean, look at the look at the D line of the Washington football team right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, they but play the West. Yeah. Well, yeah. you're, that's, a good, that's a really good point. And, and, and on the same uh, podcast I was listening to, Todd, Todd, Todd was talking about uh, Devontae Smith and his, his um, offensive coordinator said, when that guy comes off the field, he is so smart that he gives me more feedback on the reads than anyone other than the quarterback, including the guys up in the, you know, up in the booth watching the, watching the game. Please so, Rooster, Rooster uh, what's one thing you're looking for in this draft in particular? What's one thing you, you're you looking forward to seeing you're curious about? Well, I, I really, I'm really looking forward to seeing whether the Broncos, the Lions, the Bears can break their trend and do something smart for a change. I mean, the, the Bears, my God, the Bears fans are, are about to revolt. They're so awful. Their 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 front office is so awful. Same with the Lions and the Broncos. And I know you guys don't agree with me. I really think Atlanta needs to start planning for the future. And the future is not surrounding Matty Ice with more receivers. Uh, Julio. They're talking about trading Julio uh, today. They were talking about trading Julio. He's getting old. And Matt Ryan can't throw the ball down the field anymore. Very. I just think Pope, they need they need a quarterback. Pope, you you've got some um, connection to Atlanta. We all know, so let's let's take it from Rooster to Pope. Pope, what are you looking for in uh, in this draft? What are you, what are you curious about? Well, just to dismiss Atlanta real quick. I mean, if they don't think the quarterback of the future replace Matt Ryan is is there, then then I don't expect them to take a quarterback or try to trade down to take a quarterback. Um, what what I think is going to be interesting is will there be one defender that's taken in the top nine? Uh, because that's going to dictate what happens to Dallas. Uh, 
right now, if you look at most mock drafts, there's not one defense player uh, that's going to be selected before you get to number 10. And I think that's only happened like maybe once or twice in the history of the modern draft. Um, but it obviously it shows you that the, uh, the talent is on the offensive side of the ball. If, if that happens um, and if Jerry who was quoted today for God's sake, talking to uh, Kyle Pitt saying that he had visions of sugar plums dancing in his head <laughs> that he might be available. I mean, smart man, whack job. Uh, if, if they stay where they need to stay, then they'll, they'll draft either Patrick Sertain or, uh, JC Horn, um, at corner. And that would be considered to me a good draft. And then, you know, we'll go from there, but are there any other defensive players that potentially could sneak into the top nine? Cause that'll dictate a lot of the rest of the draft. That's what I'm looking at. Milk. What do you got? What do you got your eye on? Well, um, obviously as a Gator fan, I'm really interested to see where Pitts ends up. I, I'm telling you right now, I love this guy. He's not a tight end. He's a wide receiver. You split him out, let him go man-to-man, one-on-one with a corner, he's going to win seven out of ten times. No, he did that all you, year. Does it remind you of a game in Washington that you flew up for where one Jordan Reed constantly <sighs> got split out wide after <sighs> spotting you, I think, a 24-3 halftime lead? You're, you remember that? Is that yeah, are those the flashbacks yes, you're having? The, visions of the slant pass. Just <laughs> you'd think you'd learn to cover it, but no. This guy's a hundred times better than Jordan Reed, by the way. Um, and I'm looking to see where what the Bucks do at 31. Trade out. We need a defensive line, interior lineman pretty badly. Sue's pushing. I mean, our whole team's pushing 40, but especially our D lineman. I, I'm interested to see if your boy Barmore is going to be there at 31 Pope. In fact, by the way, terrible year for defensive linemen. I don't, yeah. I mean, are any going to go in the first round? Yeah. Milk. Do you think that Trask is picked before 31? I don't think he's going in the first round. But, you know, it's interesting. I haven't seen any mocks saying he is. No. no. And what, I mean, look, this I think this goes more to trap to Pitts than Trask. Look at the games when Pitts didn't play last year. I mean, he struggled a lot, including that terrible LSU game I went to. You know that was a shoe I'm, issue. My 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 storylines, my draft storylines are are two. Um, one is the obvious thing that we've overlooked. You know. There's so many people saying that Trevor Lawrence is the next John Elway or Peyton Manning. I mean, we are talking about one of the greatest quarterbacks from an analysis standpoint to have arrived on the scene in many, many years. I am really, really interested to see whether Trevor Lawrence really is the next coming because that will be pretty exciting for the NFL if uh, we're in a year where we're getting one of the, the next John Elway or the next Peyton Manning. For the Eagles, there are so many needs. It's unbelievable at corner, at wide receiver, at defensive line, at backup running back, at linebacker. I, I, I want to see the Eagles for once take the safe, correct pick at 12. I actually think Howie is taking on so much heat, he's going to try to move up again. But I suppose I would be fine. People saying really good things about both Sertain and J.C. Horn. Sounds like we'd get the other one that the Cowboys don't get. 
But what would I really like? I'd really like to get Jalen Watt or Devontae Smith at 12. I don't think Rieger, Fulham, Greg Ward, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, and Quez Watkins are enough. I'd like it's, to get a stud. It's the Jalen, Jalen, Jalen strategy. Yeah. <laughs> I think you'll get, you'll get one of those guys. By the way, does Trevor Lawrence, does his career live and die on Urban Meyer? I mean, it, it, oh. can he make or break Trevor Lawrence? Yeah. Sure. Sure. Or the other sure. way around. Sure. Yeah. But what about you, Bison? I think what you got. So, so, well, first of all, for my team, I really want us to see us do something smart. And smart would be taking a linebacker or an offensive lineman. Nothing flashy, nothing exciting. That would be smart for this team. If Washington does something crazy and trades up to get a quarterback, then I think the NFC East can rest easily and say, same old Washington, you know, they're going to screw this up, but they, they've got a shot right now. I mean, they look, they need a quarterback. Um, that's for sure. But you can't, with the team that they have right now, you can't mortgage the entire immediate future to get somebody, you know, to, to fill in or to hope they're good. So do something smart for Washington. And then the other story that I'm curious about, and, and you guys already mentioned it, but maybe this is because this is going back to needing a quarterback. I'm really curious about Trask. I, 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 uh, I'm really curious to see where he ends up and what he does in his career. I think he's pretty good. And I think he's the kind of guy who, you know, could surprise some teams and have a decent career. Maybe not, but I'm, that's what I'm curious to watch and see what happens. With Didn't that. he throw for over 4,000 yards last year? Okay. Telling you though, multiple okay. three touchdown games. Bison, I, games I, I think that the, the football team is going to trade up in the second round and take well, Davis Mills as their quarterback. Well, that, that could be, and that wouldn't be that offensive to me. I, I'd be okay with that. Um, but here's the last thing I want to ask about the about the draft, and then we got some other stuff we want to move on to. Um, House, what kind of nuclear meltdown will Philadelphia have if you trade up and draft a quarterback? <laughs> Say Mac Jones. Well, that won't happen. That 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 won't happen. The word was that they wanted to get the kid from BYU, Zach Wilson, and once they realized that was out of reach, that wasn't going to happen. There would be an absolute if it were not Zach Wilson, because I most of the uh, analysts say that if you were actually to include Sam Darnold in this draft, because he's a young kid still, right? That it would be that it would be Trevor Lawrence one. Zach Wilson two, Darnold three, and then the others, Lance and Fields and others. Like I think there's a drop off after Lawrence and Wilson. So if the Eagles went up and got Fields or Lance, it would be put your children away. We, there's yeah. There are four people sitting right here right now, very much hoping you end up with Fields. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> I please. hope they trade for Carson Wentz. I hope they trade. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Me too. What about, what about yeah? What about Carson Wentz Jr. coming out of Bison in North no, Dakota? I mean, just please take, please the, take Trask. The Washington, the Washington football team is very enamored with Trey Lance. Very enamored. Watch that story oh. Thursday night. Oh please, let's not. By the way, all right. Well, it'll be fun. About playing crappy competition. Zach Wilson. <laughs> 
to your point, House. Yeah. Who did he play? Yeah. Mountain well, West. Some, somebody's going to find a, a diamond in the rough. That's for sure. It'll, we'll 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 have to come back in ten years uh, um, and talk about who who was the diamond in the rough of this draft, uh, and maybe maybe they'll even be in the tenth annual greatest plays. That's right. Pod House, you want to tell us a little bit about about the. SMQB's Greatest Plays uh, Project? I want to thank our listeners and our fans who answered the call. We got so many great nominations for the Greatest Plays. We got more than 64. We've got more than what we need for a bracket. So now that means we got a little time to debate within the seating committee. And I know all of you have been watching the NCAA tournament get really, really frustrated with how the seating committee works and you want to be in that room, we are going to give you that chance right now and it's going to be ugly. So we try to work this out. Listeners, we try to figure out. If this, ends up, being do- the, if this ends up being the last episode of the podcast, we love you all. Thanks for listening. <laughs> so we, what we did do is we broke this down into four regions and we have the region called the feels region, which is just the moments that gave you great feels. Think of the miracle on ice or think of the Brandy Chastain women's world cup, those kinds of things. There are lots of, ha- lots of people very uncomfortable with the name of that bracket. Just, yeah, just for the record. Sorry, Pope. We're official apology to the pontiff Pope who just, he just does not like weird. Just doesn't <laughs> get it. It, It's a little creepy. The second, after we move on from the fields bracket to uh, the fields region to the unicorn region, think of a that, singular. That sounds a lot better. <laughs> the unicorn. <laughs> yeah. My okay. God. By the way, by the way our, our, that is creepy our, feeling. Our, yeah, our, unicorn. Our, our naming committee was uh, headed up by Brandon Smith. So, um, the, the, uh, the, uh, the the unicorn region think of singular almost never plays like you'll never see like you know the stanford band play or or what happened in the bartman incident incident in in the cubs world series um the cubs uh, nlcs then we've got just the plain game over region think of your your buzzer beaters your walk-off home runs and then you've got just the wow region the spectacular individual plays, uh, a record-setting performance, perfect game, things like that. So you got the feels, the unicorn, the game over, and the wow. We're going to split it up into 16 performances in each, but we couldn't get any further than just trying to choose the top two. What we want to try to do today is introduce to our audience the number one and number two seeds in each of these regions. It won't surprise you. The SMQBs don't have consensus, so we're going to go around the horn, figure out what are the top two seeds nominated, and then if we can't convince one another today, we're turning it over to the audience to choose our one and two seed. So let me start with Bison, and I'm going to bring you to, I think, a region that we have a little bit more consensus on. We'll start with Bison in the Fields region. What are your number one and two seeds? What are the greatest moments? 
So th- these are a little bit different, but again, you know, remembering that we're filling out a bracket and these are just the first two seeds. So there will be competition uh, to see if something takes them out, if there's an upset. But first of all, I, I just can't get past Miracle on Ice. I mean, that is, that's my one seed in this, in this region. Um, it, it's just, it's good versus evil. It's kids versus grown men. It's uh, shot, you know, just a shocking outcome. It's happening in the U.S. It, there's just there's too much about it to overlook it. So I've got the miracle as, as my one seed. And then going a little more recent in time, and maybe this is a generational thing, but the Tiger Woods 2019 Masters. Um, that story, because for most of us and, and for me, you know, we, we sort of grew up with Tiger. I mean, I think actually like, you know, I think Tiger would have been the same year in college as, as me. So, you know, you kind of grew up with his career, watched the downfall, never thought you'd see that return. And the magic of that day was just so powerful. I mean, we were texting all back and forth the whole time, just could not believe that was going to actually happen. So there's a lot of great story, great stories in here to pick from, but those are my two. Awesome. So here's the good news. I actually think on the one piece today that in the feels, we all can agree that the Miracle on Ice 1980 USA Olympic hockey team, men's Olympic hockey team, is a number one seed. Any disagreement there? No disagreement on that. None. Awesome. So Rooster, who's your two seed in the feels region? Let me just say on the Miracle on Ice uh, my dad took me up to Lake Placid for part of that Olympics. And mm. so that game, oh. I, we, we watched that game. It was really awesome. Wow. Um, and I'll never forget it. I mean, that was wow. an amazing, amazing moment. I still have a beer mug from Lake Placid, 1980. Um, That's cool. Yeah. Um, number two, I'm really struggling between uh, Jesse Owens in Nazi Germany and the Thrilla in Manila. Down goes Frasia. Down I mean, goes that was, for me, For me, that was the most thrilling thing as a kid next to the Miracle on Ice that I had ever seen. But historically, it's really hard to vote against Jesse Owens, all that he was up against. And I, and I really, I, I, I need a tiebreaker on that. I, I, I can't pick. Our audience is going to help you. But Milk, do you have? Can you convince us that you've got a, a a better number two? I have, by the way, Miracle on Ice. Just so everyone knows, I'm going Brandy Chastain, '99 Women's World Cup penalty shootout goal against China, rips off the jersey, iconic moment. One of those things that yeah. you just like sticks in your mind. You kind of remember where you were. Um, Can't argue with that either. For the feels bracket, I think that's kind of <laughs> fits. Wow. Wow. Feels. So you had, you had it turned mm. it into that, huh? And let's move Actually, on. Actually, I let's wasn't going on. there. We apologize. Going we're there. just going to move on. Our, uh, <laughs> we're going to move on from move Milk, on. and we're going to go straight <laughs> to Pope. That, was, Pope, we that wasn't my intention. Pope, was, we, know you've got, you, we know you've got the Miracle on Ice as your number one. Okay. Who's, who's your number two? Well, you know, I'm uh, I'm not necessarily torn as much uh, as Rooster on this. I, I just think Jesse Owens, um, 
1936 Olympics in the face of Nazi Germany, uh, such an unbelievable performance. And then for, you know, under the pressure he was at the time, uh, uh, the, the thing that it, it meant to Americans, I just, I, I think that's a, but for the miracle on ice, I think it, it would be a number one. So I think that's a really strong number two for me. Okay. So we got a couple of votes there for that as a number two seed. I'm going to throw one other at you guys in our audience, because I think it absolutely encapsulates the absolute highs and lows of sports. And that's the 1986 Buckner play Mets versus Red Sox. Uh. It has all the feels. If you're a Mets fan, it is absolute true glory. You went from over, go home, and it's gone to continuing the amazing run and winning the World Series. And if you're the Red Sox with a chance to finally get off the schneid since the Babe Ruth curse, all Buckner has to do is grab that ball. And while I feel bad for what happened to Buckner, I think if you're talking about all the feels, you've got it, the highs and the lows. That's my number two nomination. His, his manager knew that he was so hurt that he could not bend over and touch the ground. Shouldn't have been in the damn game at that time. And then, and then the poor guy had to endure decades of hatred from the Boston fans. I, I just can't celebrate that play. Boo. All right. Well, we're going to need the audience to help us out on the number two seed. So let's move over. I By think the way, hold on. Time out. Time out. Pope convinced me, and I'm I am now putting Jesse Owens as a solid two. Okay, we got to even, even though there. Ali is the greatest of all time. Uh, well, I'm he's now three. Rooster, you can come back next week and push hard on the three seed there for, for the thrill. I will if I remember. I will. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, watch your former podcast. And I try not to make old jokes, but you just <laughs> make it so too tough. easy. It's too easy. I, I oh, think yeah. we have some consensus uh, in the game over region. There are some iconic plays. I mean, I think that's a very strong region. I think that's going to be really hard to debate over time. But I'm going to start this time with Milk. Who are your top two seeds in the game over region? All right, so I think we have some consensus on this one, I think. Christian Leitner, Kentucky, turnaround shot. I mean. Well, we've got a Carolina fan, so we've got yeah, a problem. Put, don't Pope forget bring Grant, himself. Don't if, forget Grant Hill's pass. If, yeah, I agree. And if Pope didn't pick that. It got him to the dude. final four. Meh. Great. Great. Oh, Meh. <laughs> 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 and then we got to talk mean, about Luke May shot against Kentucky. I mean, come uh, on. Look, to the final uh, four. Okay. these are the ones that are replayed. It's iconic. Iconic. They're replayed all the time. You got to have Leitner in the top two. Sorry. Uh, and then my number one, same thing, going to baseball, Kirk Gibson, home run, coming in, injured, well, you know, going around the bases with the arm strut. Didn't, didn't even have his spikes on. Didn't have his wow. spikes on. Wasn't supposed to be in the game. I mean, uh, just an unbelievable moment. I, I got to have that in the top two. Game over. That's the way you end a game. Bison, I feel like you've got some love for milk with your two. Yeah, we're 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 lined up uh, perfectly on this. I mean, Kirk Gibson. It just I, the World Series was over after that. It was game yeah. one, but the World Series was over. Uh, and and the Leitner 
Milk summed it up right. I mean, it's just it's that play. It's that play that that you think about when you think about March Madness. Rooster, um, you like the Leitner play as well as a top two seed. In fact, I think you've got as a one in the game over. But what's your number two? Oh, Rooster's a little frozen. So we're going to take a commercial break from Uh-oh. Mike. <laughs> Mike <Fallon. laughs> he's 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 back in the coop. So we're going to, while he lays an egg, while he lays an egg, we're going to go, we're going to go, we're going to hold off on Pope. I just want to say, because I know Pope's the disagreeable one on this one. Uh, I also think that on game over, you've got to go with Leitner, but I've got a different walk off and a, a shout out to a nomination that came in from my friend, Matt Lechman, who's a big pirates fan. I guess I knew this at one point in time and must have forgotten it, but Bill Mazeroski has the only Game 7 walk-off home run in World Series history. And, uh, I, you know, I looked up a little bit about this. It's kind of a cool story in that, that the Pirates hadn't won a pennant since 1927. They're in the World Series against the Yankees in 1960. Mazeroski hits the walk-off home run and doesn't, even make it to the hall of fame until the veterans committee finally takes him up and puts him in the hall in 2001. He got out in his induction speech. He got out one sentence and then was so overwhelmed by the emotion of making it the hall that he just said, you all didn't come drive all this way to hear this crap. I'm just going to sit down. And they all stood up and gave him a standing ovation. I just think that I, I think it's a generational thing. And if we were, a little older, we might appreciate that. But if you really look historically at a true game over, that's got to be a very high seed, a walk-off home run in a World Series game seven. Bill Mazeroski is my number two. And so then we'll turn it over to you, Pope. Why can't you agree with us? Well, putting aside my biases, I guess I look at game over as um, a finality uh, more so than you know, advancing in a tournament. Um, I mean, and weak, I, but, weak, I, but I will weak. freely admit that I do a little, maybe have a bias against Leitner's I mean, side. When the Although, shot went in, the game was over, wasn't it? Well, yeah, of course it <laughs> was. I believe it that's finality, over. correct? But, but I mean, look, so my number one and, and house you, you laid it out perfectly is, is Mazeroski's uh, home run. I mean, if you think about Hello? it, you think about we're here, Rooster. Oh, sounds like Rooster is uh, dialing in. He's back, okay. Uh, if you think about it, the team that they beat—that 1960s New York Yankee Bronx Bombers with Mickey Mantle and the boys—I mean, what a what a massive victory that was! And to walk it off the way that Mazeroski was able to do it, I, I think that's a number one. And I, you know, I'm a baseball guy, so shot heard around the world. Bobby Thompson, you know. Giants win the pennant is something that's always echoed uh, in my ear, even though I wasn't alive at the time. I mean, we look at the greatest plays of all time. Those two home runs to me signify game over uno dos. Okay. Those are great ones. Um, Great ones. Speaking of a great one, Rooster is back with us after commercial break. Rooster, we know that on the game over, your number one is the Hill to Leitner. Duke over Kentucky in that iconic shot, the iconic 
greatest NCAA basketball game of all time. Okay, let's get this. Is a little. Oh, sorry, Pope. Sorry. The shot. The shot. Two point one seconds left. Rooster, Jenkins, what? Chris Jenkins' shot was better than late. Rooster's turned into our first call-in. I, I could have been a homer. I, I could have been a homer, but I didn't go with the Villanova one. But Rooster, back to you. The game over region, number two seed. What do you got? Well, it has to be Flutie to Fallon, 1984. Oh, the miracle in Miami, baby. And what's your last name? Relative? Uh, Flutie? <laughs> oh, you mean Fallon. Yeah. <laughs> My next I one love that Kirk call. Gibson. I love so, it. So Milk and I are simpatico. Your next, your number three is Kirk Gibson. So, I mean, look, yeah. I think the audience, um, you know, there's a lot pointing towards Leitner and Gibson, but we'll see. We'll put it to the audience. Let's move on in the regions to a couple more difficult brackets for us deciding them. So in the unicorn region, these are really singular plays that you might not see ever again. Really, really unique moments in sports. Let's start with you, Pope. Where did you go with your number one and number two seeds in the unicorn region? I think we might have close to a consensus, if not a consensus, on number one, uh, the Immaculate Reception, um, at least from what I was looking at pre-pod. The Immaculate Reception is... Still, you know, I see it in my jaw drops. Just unbelievable play. Um, that'll nothing like that'll ever happen again under the context of that of that play. So, Pope, me, just tell our point. younger listeners who what we're talking about with the immaculate reception. Well, somebody might be able to help me out here because my memory is a little faded. But it was the Steelers and and uh, Raiders, if I remember correctly. Yeah, nineteen seventy-two yeah. AFC playoffs. There Steelers we go. Come on, Rooster. <laughs> Rooster, Rooster knows all about Ball it. Ball bounced off of Frenchie Fuqua. Thank you. Little known fact about that game. That was also Rudy, Rooster's 40th birthday. <laughs> it, was, it was my 10th. I was 10. I was he and 10. Rocky Blyer were coming back from Nam, weren't they, for that? Oh, God. <laughs> so so uh, I, I'll let him fill in more details when he, we get to him. Uh, my number two on that was one I mentioned last week, which is Willie Mays uh, basket catch going over his head towards uh, center field wall um, at the time game tied, uh, able to basically save the game, save the series. Uh, to me, um, an, uh, another iconic moment that uh, and I'm a baseball guy, right? That's just stuck in my mind. I like it. I like it a lot. Rooster, what are your top two here in the in the. Uh... Unicorn region. And tell us uh, who caught that immaculate reception. All right. First of all, I'm going to have to confess that I am with Pope. I am a North Carolina basketball fan, baseball guy, the pontiff on this. Uh, I go with the immaculate reception and the Willie Mays catch. Um, Franco Harris. First of all, this is a very controversial play because if the ball bounced off of Frenchie Fuqua, um, then you can't advance it. But Franco Harris caught it. If the ball bounced off of the defender, Jack Tatum, then he can advance it. And he, and he caught the ball about uh, half an inch off the ground before it hit the ground and ran it in for the game-winning touchdown in 1972. The Willie Mays play, um, Willie Mays had his back to home plate and he was in the polo grounds, and which you know are cavernously deep. 
So he's playing shallow center. Somebody hits a rocket over his head, and he takes off running. Uh, and with his back to home plate, right before the wall, like catches this thing, like makes a basket catch, whirls around and throws the guy out who was trying to tag from second. So, I mean, that the play was just really um, amazing and difficult to repeat ever. Uh, so I agree with Pope. Those are two tops. Milk, I think you like the Immaculate Reception as well. Uh, what do you have as... Well, I'm a little confused because I thought uh, the Doug Flutie play was in the unicorn division, but apparently... Yeah, we're uh, in the unicorn division. Okay. Then Brewster and I match up. I've got Immaculate and Flutie. We're good to go. All right, we'll go with that. (laughs) Let me just just say, we, we were doing well on the Immaculate reception until we get to Bison because on mine, uh, in my in, for for me in the unicorn region, the immaculate reception is number one, but I'm going with my number two is the number ten top NFL play of all time. It is one of the most iconic plays already in the Super Bowl. You can oh, call no. me a ho- oh, you can no. call me Get you can no. call me a homer. You outrageous. can call me a homer, but the Philly special no. is not outrageous. Outrageous. It catapulted the Eagles to their first Super Bowl victory. It was an incredibly ingenious play. It was a ballsy play. It was a fourth down play. It was a unicorn play. It is an extremely high seed, and I'm confident that our audience will go with number two there. But we've got we've we'll got see. a dis- we've got a disruptor on the SMQBs who want with none of these. And I'm going to turn it over to our host, Christopher Tinace the Bison, with his two. Talk about your unicorns. Well, first of all, I just, you know, if the Philly, Philly, Philly special, whatever that is, is a Philly, two seed, Philly. you always end up with a 15 over a two. So I think we know <laughs> where to where to bet uh, that one. So that's shaping up nicely. Um, so look, I, I looked at this bracket as the as a unicorn, like the the what in the actual just happened. Right. That's that's kind of how I looked at this. Um, and I've got the Randy Johnson hitting the bird. <laughs> because that is that has never happened before. That will never happen again. I mean, that video, I think it is like the most watched like YouTube baseball clip of all time or something. But that play with that poor bird was just flying around, building a nest, trying to care for its family, and was viciously murdered by a Randy Johnson fastball. It's <laughs> So, so you must have Dave Winfield killing the seagull as number two, then. <laughs> no. No. No, I don't. But that play, I mean, that, that whole thing, the video of it. No, I can't, I, this is my two. I get to pick my two. So I'm sorry, bird killer. The other one. <laughs> <laughs> What's your other one, Bison? My other one is the Bartman incident. And again, the re- the reason it's there is because what is the Bartman incident for our so, younger fans? So the Bartman I guess it's the it's the NLCS. It's not the World Series. It is the right. it's the NLCS and I think it was game 6 if I'm not mistaken and the Cubs were um you know Phelan wants to come back into the room right now. They I'm not sure three, if I should let him in. They were up 2 uh, in the series. Yeah, they're up 3-2. They're ready to win it. It's like the seventh inning or so, 
and and they're in you know they're in command of the game, and Moises Alou goes over to to catch a foul ball in, and he's just got to reach into like one row of stands to catch it, and it's the third out of the inning. Or, um, and Steve Bartman, the poor schmuck, he reaches up with his own glove and and knocks the ball away, and. The Cubs go on and lose the game and lose in game seven and don't go back to the World Series. And it's just the perfect example of the epic ways that the Cubs were cursed until they won the series. And I guess it was 2015, I think. But but it's just such a perfect play. Like nobody knew what was happening. Nobody understood the call on the field. Alou was furious. He couldn't understand what was going on. And it's just it's just got it all wrapped in to be a unicorn play. Bison, you know I love you, but can you explain to us what was great about that play? Because I thought this was greatest plays. No, it's 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 the the most memorable, the most exciting. This is the ah, unicorn okay. division. It's ah, okay. this is not the wild division. We're gonna get there. This is the unicorn. This is the the most head scratching, ah. memorable plays. And and Bartman is Bartman's one of those plays that you're just like. God, that that's the kind of crap that has to happen for a team not to win a World Series in a hundred and some years. It's a huge play in sports history. There's no question about it. No question about it. Um, well, those we're going to need the audience there too. I'm I'm going to kick off the wow region. I think this is where we're going to have our biggest debate, and we're really going to need the audience here. Um, my number one, and I think it's just a very high seed overall in the entire tournament, is the catch. There are very few plays in sports history that just can you say a name for it and you know exactly what you're talking about. The Immaculate Reception is one of them. But the catch from Joe Montana to Dwight Clark to, to really end the reign uh, that just went on only a little bit longer. But, you know, they took down America's team, Dallas Cowboys in the NFC Championship. It was the start of one of the greatest dynasties in the NFL history with the 49ers um and it was an incredible play and you know some some people thought including some of the cowboys defenders thought that he was either throwing it out of bounds or he was about to be sacked it was just an incredible incredible play by maybe the the game's greatest quarterback of all time um certainly top three top two and so i think the catch is number one and my number two is another wow incredible performance Don Larson was basically a journeyman pitcher for the New York Yankees. But on October 8th, 1956, he took game, took the mound on game five. He had been run off the mound in game two in a 13 to eight loss that the Yankees had. Um, Don Larson threw a perfect game on October 8th, 1956, Getting these four players out all three times, they're all in the Hall of Fame. Pee Wee Reese, Duke Snyder, Roy Campanella, and a cleanup hitter named Jackie Robinson. Hmm. I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, that, again, this is a generational thing, but looking back at it, that perfect game that the Yankees took them, they went on to win those series in seven games. That was a wow performance. Those are my top two seeds, the catch and Don Larson's perfect game. I'm going to go now to Bison. 
That is that's a that's strong. That's strong house. That's it's hard to argue with that. I, I'm going to come back though with sort of a similar uh, baseball play, which is uh, Bobby Thompson shot heard around the world. Uh, I talked about it in the last podcast, I think a little bit, uh, but this is a game winning home run. You've got uh, you got Bobby Thompson from the New York Giants. Uh, he's facing the the Brooklyn Dodgers. Ralph Bronk at the Polo Grounds. I mean, I don't know how much more history you want you want at this point anyway and it's a it's a home run three run homer in the ninth inning of of a three game series a three game playoff to win the pennant and you know the the giants win the pennant and move on and it's just a classic iconic uh baseball moment that's my one seed here for the wow and and two um sticking a little bit with um We've tried to keep things a little more recent. And I think this is a, just an underappreciated play all around. Um, you know how many no-hitters there have been in baseball? In all of baseball, do you know how many no-hitters? No-hitters? No-hitters. 50, 60, Not including 70. this week. Last, last I counted, it's like 307. Yeah. Okay? It's, about, it's just over 300. There's about two a year, basically. That's what happens. You get about two, two and a half no-hitters a season. Uh, so everyone is special, but uh, Steven Souza laying out, uh, you know, we, we heard the description of Willie Mays' catch with his back to the wall, back to the home plate, facing the wall. That is exactly Souza's play. If you're not familiar with this, you go YouTube this and, and check it out. This is unbelievable. And it's the last out of a no hitter, bottom of the or top of the ninth, two outs. The ball leaves the bat. Jordan Zimmerman you know, curses and, and slaps his, his leg with his glove because he knows he just blew it. And Sousa Jr., who had been put in the game just for defense that inning, makes a laying out catch uh, to save the no-hitter. And and that's just a wow moment. Uh, and it, it's it's the number two pick here. It's There's no doubt. Interesting. Interesting homerism. Pope, you got a you got a couple of interesting ones. I can't wait to see what our audience thinks about yours because they're 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 legit, but they're they're different. So what do you got there? So my number one, wow, uh, it's not a human event. It's a horse. It's Secretariat Ooh. in nineteen seventy three, and it's his Triple Crown performance. And you know, obviously, the actual wow moment is the Belmont. But to put it in perspective, he wins the Derby in a record time. He wins the Preakness in record time. The anticipation grows for the first Triple Crown winner in years. 100,000 people pack Belmont Park to see if he can come through. Not only did he come through, but he won, blew the field away by 31 links. And it's a famous, you know, uh, moment in sporting history and, uh, uh, at the time, first Triple Crown winner in years, it was momentous, and it's something that it, people still say "wow" about. It's a good so one. Could a, could a horse could a horse win the inaugural bracket? It's a good I got one. Secretariat number one and number two, and I, you know, this hurts, but number two is the catch. Another uh, big time turning point in the NFL history. Uh, it gave birth to the the dynasty that the Niners came and it really signaled the end of the Cowboys reign. Um, and 
it's something that's seared in my memory and uh, I'll never get over it. So number two, <laughs> the catch. Good ones. All right. Let's go with milk. What you got there? Well, I'm totally in agreement on Don Larson. I might have that as my number one in the wow. Anytime you pitch a perfect game in a World Series, I mean, that's just incredible. Um, my number two, you guys haven't mentioned, and I hate this because I hate talking anything very good about the Yankees. Derek Jeter, the full. Yeah, the flip play was the, flip was, the flips. Yeah, the flips up there. 2001 ALDS. Uh, Terrence Long off Mike Mussina, right field line. Shane Spencer fields it. And this is the, I mean, so he like overthrew everybody, right? At least two, two, two cutoff cut men. Yeah. And then out of nowhere, Jeter, just like literally it appears on the screen, catches it, flips it over to Posada. And you got to love that he gets not Jeremy or Jeremy Giambi out. Yeah. Um, it was just an unbelievable moment. Another iconic moment that they p- replay all, all the time. Uh, I've got it's it a, it's a deserving two. high seed. It's a deserving high seed. Yeah. Rooster. I think Good you got time. a little bit of consensus with us, but what do you got for your two wows? Well, uh, you know, perfect is perfect. So Don Larson has to be on there. Um, and since milk's already put my recent Yankee on there, I'm going to go for an old one. 1932 game three of the world series at Wrigley field games tied four to four. And the babe is up at the plate and being heckled by the Cubs bench. And he points to the outfield wall and on the next swing belts a home run and then heckles the Cubs all the way around the bases. The Yankees go on to win the game and the world series and in, Fun fact, in attendance at that game were Franklin Delano Roosevelt and associate, future associate uh, Supreme Court Justice John Paul Stevens. Wow. Pretty interesting wow. stuff. Yes, yes. Were you there too? Well, I was not. I was not <laughs> there. I was not there, but I do have a couple of little Babe Ruth biographies in my house from when I was well, a listen. young lad. If the if our audience didn't keep it straight, we're going to be posting it on our social media. We're going to put what our top two seeds are. We need you to vote so we can get on with the rest of the bracket. We're looking forward to having our listeners participate with us in the greatest plays of all time. Back to you, Bison. All right. Now we're going to throw it right back to you. And I want to hear the SMQBs destroyed, destroyed the uh, greedy Super La Liga soccer league, whatever they were going to call it, call it. Let's give our, our listeners just a quick update on how we took down and destroyed that league. How's do you want to, you want to leave that? Pope's got this. Pope has oh, got this. Throw it over to Pope. I got it. Look, and I called it. I said, the fan reaction is going to be vicious to this. And that's going to ultimately be the downfall of it. And when they found out that they couldn't compete in the world cup and other competitions and potentially the six teams would be kicked out of the premier league, it was over. It was a fan revolt, especially at Chelsea and Arsenal. Uh, it fell apart within 24 hours of, of the SMQBs punching the motherfucker in the face, right? We, we took them down. Took well done, boys. them down, and we take a knockout victory for the SMQBs. Woo! 
We're taking complete and full credit for that, right? Absolutely. 100%. 100%. I'm pretty sure John Henry is a regular listener and was scared shitless after listening yeah. to our last episode. I have no doubt. I got uh, our uh, I got a recording over to the Glaciers. So well done. <laughs> All right. So we're gonna go from last week's punchable face and the outcome there. And uh we're gonna go to this week's punchable face of the week. Come on, man. We couldn't leave it. Now, Rooster, you're going to take us through this, but I think we we have a little audio uh, that we want to that we want to tee up, right? Yep. Let's listen. All right. The other thing is, is I'm hungry and passionate. I don't eat breakfast in the morning, so I can come to work hungry. So when I get to lunch, I'm hungry, and that's just the kind of person I am. I know my 2003 Chevy Tahoe's got a lot of play this week so far, but like, it doesn't have AC. And it doesn't have heat. And the reason I do that is so I can practice my mental toughness during the winter when it's cold. And I can practice my mental toughness during the, the summer when it's hot. That's the type of person I am. So introductory press conferences for new coaches are usually not that important or are soon forgotten. And that's probably the way it should be. Uh, there are two recent examples of psychotic press conferences one was uh, Dan Campbell for the Detroit Lions recently. And this guy, Chase Coburn, who just took over as the head basketball coach for Portland State University, tops Dan Campbell. I mean, are you kidding me? It, let's say you're a parent and you want to, you're thinking about sending your kid to Portland State and you watch that pale faced psychopath talking about <laughs> uh, he starves himself in the morning so he's hungry by lunch and, 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 he, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't use the heat or the air conditioning so he can he can work on and practice his mental toughness. I mean, what parent's going to want their kid playing for that psycho? The guy looks like he hasn't been outdoors in three years and looks like a human penis, for God's sakes. And he's working <laughs> on mental toughness. You ought to be working on a new hairdo, for crying out loud. I oh mean, what, seriously, what blue chip high school player is going to say, oh, sign me up to go play for that lunatic? Look, if, you, if you're so tough, why don't you sleep outside in the winter, you pussy? I mean, give me a break. <laughs> oh I mean, I, I would never send a kid of mine to go play for that guy. Oh, oh my God. Okay. We're off the rails. Does anybody get the irony in all that? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure this team ever competes at any level that we ever care about. So I love that how much Rooster cares about this. Uh, I mean, seriously now. You're a parent. Think of yourself as a parent of a talented high school basketball player. You see this guy. They should fire the AD for Portland State should fire that guy next week. Oh, boy. All right. Well, that's our punchable face. Um, that nice was a, work, Rooster. That was a combination layout right there, Rooster. Well done. Wow. Well I think done. we just picked up some listers. listeners. Yeah, I think so. Milk, uh, you want to pour one out for uh, for someone? Yeah, well, after that's hard to follow, by the way. But I'll now we have to get serious for a second. Jeez. Um, yeah, so I, I, as people probably have seen uh, last Thursday, some bad news out of the SEC. And as a SEC guy, 
thought I, we should mention it today, but, um, you know, 19 year old Terrence Clark, who was a shooting guard for, for the university of Kentucky basketball team died last Thursday in a, in a tragic car accident. Um, just, uh, uh you know, complete wasted talent. You know, he was a McDonald's all American five-star recruit. Uh, he, he was a one and dunner, only played one year. He didn't really even play that much. He got injured earlier, but but lot a lot of talent. He had just signed, I think, literally the, the day before with um clutch sports, which I think that's who represents like guys like LeBron, right? Um, and I uh, just saw today that he ran a red light and wasn't maybe wearing his seatbelt. So yes. yeah. You know, you hate to hear those stories and as a parent you hate them even worse um and a, a weird note to this story i don't know if y'all saw did you see he was driving the same exact car that tiger was driving when he got in his accident wow that no oh. yeah that Gen- genesis gv80 same exact wow. model wow. yeah crazy wow. story so um you know a lot of potential gone way too early feel terrible for you know, his family and, and, um, love to pour one out for him and a big loss for the NBA. Uh, I think he was going to be a, you know, projected second round, uh, draft pick. Uh, so I think, I think they said lottery pick really. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I heard first potential first round. Yeah. First round. Yeah. Terrible. Coach Calipari said he was also an amazingly wonderful kid who, who just owned the room with his personality and people gravitated towards. So that's a big loss. Wear yeah. your seat belt. Wear it. Yeah, wear your damn seat belt. Yeah. Tragedy. So, All right. We'll, we'll, uh, well, maybe we'll talk Thursday night. Maybe we'll have a text yeah. during the draft. Well, what do you think I, each other? Hold on. I'm taking this out with three, three things that cannot go unmentioned in sports this week. All right. And then we're going to, and then we'll wrap it. All right. Number one, um, Madison Baumgartner, no hitter for the Arizona Diamondbacks. It was a, a no seven hitter. inning. It was a seven inning game. Not a no hitter. He pitched all the scheduled innings in the game. He not gave him no not hits. A game, not a game. It was. It's in the books as a complete game. And there's there's some water cooler talk for you this week. Is that a no hitter or not? He got everybody out who was scheduled. Not one. Not, it wasn't shortened game because of rain or anything like that. He got every out he was supposed to get. All right, number two, in the bizarro news of the weird. Um, Rob Gronkowski set another record over the weekend. <laughs> I saw that. The weird. <laughs> he, he caught the record for the highest football pass of all time at Arizona. They dropped a football out of a helicopter, 600 feet. He had the gear on, he had his pads on, his helmet on, and it took him three, three shots, but he caught it. He set a Guinness uh, world book record there. Uh, and I think the happiest person was uh, Teddy Bruschi, who was there watching, too, who was about as excited as anybody when he caught it. And then the last one, um, some good news, actually, is a story about um, Walker Smallwood, who was a 17-year-old student at Dixie Heights High School in Edgewood, Kentucky. Uh, he he wanted to be a pitcher. He's a baseball pitcher. He wanted to pitch in the pros. Uh, He got diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer. He had six surgeries, six chemo cycles, 24 treatments, 18 hospital stays. 
His leg was was not strong enough to continue pitching, um, but he convinced his coach and his parents to let him throw one more game, one more high school game, and damned if he didn't go out there and throw a no hitter and strike out fifteen batters, uh, and and just had uh, one of the most dominating pitching performances in the history of the school district. So good for Walker Smallwood. That is one hell of a way to walk off your career uh and we're we're happy for him uh and that brings that's us that's a good one the but there there great there's, story there's, great there's story. a fourth there's a fourth story if you guys know the famous canadian golfer paul miller celebrated his birthday this week i'm not familiar with oh. him. Uh, happy birthday hoser <laughs> <laughs> happy Long birthday to listener. paul Long time listener. That's right. He's got to listen through this whole thing to get first, to the end, too. He's never going to hear it. <laughs> first time, long time. All right, guys. Have a good Fun week. Well, we'll, talk, we'll talk at the draft. See you all Thursday. Yeah, right. See you all Thursday. Talk to you Thursday. Good luck to your teams, listeners.